joined now by Pastor Rick Cavanaugh, and we're going to take a few minutes to get to know you. So can you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm the old guy on staff here, I think. I've been around <laughs> for a long time. I started here in 1986 and served as the only pastor, and then it grew over the years. And I was here for 22 years, then left for 11, and then came back after 11 years, now I'm back on staff, teaching and counseling, that kind of thing. I'm married to my wife of 40 years, Marcia. We have two children, both adults. One lives locally here, teaches in the local schools, and the other lives out in Seattle, Washington. David and Candace, our sons in Seattle, Candace is here. We have two grandchildren, and that's pretty much it. So I've been in ministry since I was just a young kid. I started out at 21 years old. So I've been at it all my adult life. Tell us a little bit about when you accepted Jesus. I was raised in the church. So the first time I came home from the hospital, my parents had me in church and I probably could count on two hands the number of times I haven't been in church in my life. I mean, I've always been there. I remember at four kneeling at an altar and making a commitment to Jesus. I remember feeling called to preach when I was just four or five years old. I was just a little kid. Some of that became because of just being raised in it in terms of making the faith my own and really coming to a place where I had to make a decided commitment to live for the Lord and not live for my own selfish self was when I was a senior in high school. And at the end of my senior year, just before heading off to college, that was the moment when I came to a crossroads and knew I had to be serious about God and that my relationship with him had to be mine and not just something that came because I was raised in the church. And so that's where it happened for me. Tell me a little bit about your ministry history. Like you said, you were at Framework for many years and then you left for a while. Tell us a little bit about the history of your ministry. We were in Ohio. I was going to college in Asbury in Kentucky and we ran out of money and I couldn't get a student loan. So I had to leave college. So I moved to Ohio. That's where my parents were living. We were in the Columbus area. I was working in a factory, just trying to save up money to go back to school. And I was volunteering in a church, working with the youth ministry and helping with music some. And the pastor, there was a big brouhaha and the pastor ended up leaving and they didn't have a pastor. And the church was running about a hundred at that time. He announced one day he's starting his own church and it's going to be just a couple blocks down the road and invited everybody to join him. So he took everyone but 17 people. And so we were some of those that stayed and they couldn't find anybody to fill in. So they asked me if I'd be willing, they knew I wanted to be minister. So they asked me if I'd be willing to fill in till they could find someone. And so I agreed to do that. So I was 21 years old and I got a leave of absence from my job at the factory and started serving there. Well, the church started to grow and things started to move. And after several months, they asked me if I would consider coming on full time. So I did. And I ended up staying there for three years. And then I received a phone call. I came up here to visit one time because my wife is from here. And while I was here, the current pastor of the church, Bud Fancy, he's our senior pastor, his dad, Jack Fancy, was the pastor here when I came up to visit. And Jack asked me if I would fill in while I was up here. And so I said yes. And so I preached. And then there came a point when Jack was getting done here and somebody on the board had remembered me preaching and they gave me a phone call and asked me if I'd be willing to come. It's the most unusual job interview I've ever had because I talked to the vice chair on the phone for about 20 minutes and that was it. I never had an interview. They never brought me up. I never talked to the board, nothing. They just want to know if I'd be willing to come. So I said, yes. So we packed up and moved our family up here. We had two children by that time. We moved our family up here to Maine and 
my family was devastated because we were all together in Columbus and all of a sudden out of the blue, we're announcing, hey, we're moving to Maine. So that was hard on them. But we brought our two children up. They were just six months and 18 months old. So they were very, very young and started off here. It was just me. And eventually we added a secretary and the church started to grow over a period of time. I was here for 22 years. We built the church. Really, the church grew, I think, on just the whole focus. Our whole vision at one time was that we were called to be a house of prayer for the nations, and we really focused on that. Everything was centered around prayer, and God blessed it, and it grew. But then there came a point where I was just feeling restless and wanting to see what else there was out there. When the church first started to grow, I had asked the Lord to not allow me to be distracted by other calls to go somewhere else. You know, because sometimes when your church starts to grow, all of a sudden everybody thinks you're an expert, even though I wasn't. It was growing in spite of me, not because of me. And that's absolutely true. I mean, God was growing it because the church was praying. The place was just aflame with prayer. And God was honoring that. And I'd have guys ask me, you know, why we were growing. And I would just say, well, because we're praying, you know, and they didn't believe that. No, what's the real reason? Well, no, that's the reason. And so people all of a sudden would invite me to go speak places because they thought somehow I was an expert, which I wasn't, but they wanted me to come. So I had asked the Lord, I said, I know that there's going to be distractions because we're growing and I'm going to get invitations and I don't need that distraction. Would you block that from happening? And so the whole time that we grew, because we grew from a hundred people when I came to almost, we were running just under 800 people at the height of it. And I had never gotten an invitation to go somewhere else. And I remember one day we had just built our home in Mapleton and we'd been there for about two years and I was just restless. And I remember I was up in the balcony of our home. I was praying and pacing. I remembered I had asked the Lord to block any distractions. And so I prayed and I said, Lord, I'm restless. I don't know what's going on, but if there's something else you want me to do or whatever, I remember I asked you not to let any invitations come, but I want to rescind that and ask if you'd lift that if you want me to go somewhere. Well, that very next day, I walk into my office and my answering machine is blinking and I pick it up and it's a guy from North Carolina telling me that they would like to interview me for a job down there. So I felt like that was significant. I asked my district superintendent about it. He said, well, I don't know if it's God or not, but it's least worth investigating. So we flew down and long story short, we ended up taking that position and we were there for six years, met some fantastic friends there, made great connections, still friends that we have today that we go back and visit. It was a great season, but it was a huge church. The properties were about a $50 million operation. So it was massive and they had their own thrift store. They had a Christian academy that ran about 1300 students. They had a nursing home. They had a recovery care home. They had a housing facility for seniors. They bought a mall and rented out all the spaces. They had a busing operation where they rented out buses. I mean, it was huge, huge thing. And really what they needed was not a pastor or a preacher. They needed a CEO. And that's kind of what they were looking for was somebody that could run businesses because there was just so many businesses and so much money. And it was so huge. I think I had a staff of, I think it was 26 employees under me and it was huge. And that's not me. I'm not a CEO. I'm a preacher. You know, I just teach the Bible. So it wasn't the right fit. That kind of leadership that was needed just wasn't who I am. That took me six years to realize it. And so we ended up leaving there and we found a place in Ohio, just a small church, 170 people maybe. So here we are back to Ohio again. And we pastored there for about five years. And then the opportunity came to come up here and to serve in a different position than being a lead pastor, which I've been a lead pastor my entire ministry from the very first time I started. I was either solo or lead. And I had never been in a staff position. And 
my area, the thing that I feel like I am most comfortable serving is in the arena of teaching, preaching, counseling, those kinds of things. And this position I have now really focuses on that stuff. You know, senior pastors are interested in budgets, staffing, vision, big picture, connection with the community, being the face of the church, all of that stuff. And I have done that for years, but the thing that really excites me is teaching the word and locking shoulders with people and helping them to grow in their faith and discipleship. And that's really where my heart has always been. That's probably why when I was here, our whole vision was focused on prayer and that type of thing. So I got the opportunity to come back and do that and not have to be the one in charge. And I just thought, man, I love Maine. I miss Maine. I love this areas where we raised our kids. This is home for me because I grew up in Michigan, but I left when I was 18, never went back. And so I've been in Maine longer than I've been anywhere else. And Maine is home for me. So I was thrilled to be able to come back, come to the church that I love and not have to be the one in charge. So that's kind of the a long answer to your question of kind of where it's been for me. So what do you do now at the church? I do a daily posting on Facebook. It's called our spiritual formation page. And I write a devotional, take a book of the Bible and go through it phrase by phrase. And I write a posting every day on that. And then I pray through a scripture. So I'm praying through Proverbs and I do that every day, 365 days a year. And we have about 1,100 people that are part of that site. And we have about a 400 a day engagement with that. And so I interact with the people. So that's a daily thing. And then I also teach a weekly Bible study on Wednesday nights with adults. And that's a mix of people, men and women, all ages. And that's an hour long study. And we're going from Genesis through Revelation. So I do that every week. I run the preaching plan for the church. So I organize that, put together the series and I preach every third week. And then I schedule all of the other speakers and that type of thing. So I have that on a regular basis. I do counseling in the church. So I do marriage counseling, family counseling, individual counseling. I'm also in charge of the discipleship ministry and currently running four discipleship groups. And so I do that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and then training those people to multiply into other discipleship groups. So right now we have those four active groups, but in a year from now, our plan is to multiply that out to more. So those are the basic duties. And then there's, of course, just the stuff that comes up that you have to, as part of the team, we have special events going on at the church. I volunteer in the sound booth. I do that. But the bulk of it is teaching, preaching, and counseling. You had mentioned that you had left college at one point, but you have your doctorate now. Yeah, I do. I left school because I ran out of money. And so I finished my pastoral training through correspondence, but that's not a degree. So I didn't have an undergrad degree. I went for years and years without a degree. And back in those days, you know, it was back in the old fashioned days when we had typewriters, nothing's online, right? And everything had to be in person. So I remember having a conversation with a district official at one point about getting my degree. And he told me I needed to resign from the church and go back to school. Well, the church was growing and doing well. I just didn't feel like I could do that. And there was no online option. So I just settled for holding on to a ordination certificate and never finishing the degree. Well, I was speaking at a camp meeting and there were two of us who were the main speakers and the other guy was the academic dean at one of our colleges and we got into a conversation and he made it his personal mission to help me to get my degree and by that time this is 35 years later by that time people were doing online classes and so through his encouragement and help I was able to graduate with an undergrad degree from one of our bible colleges in 2013 
And then, of course, by that time, everything's online. So I jumped right into a master's program and completed that. And when that was done, I waited a year and then I jumped into a doctoral program. The undergrad and the master's were done through our Wesleyan schools, but then I wanted to explore something beyond our own faith tradition. So I went to George Fox University out in Portland, Oregon, did my doctorate through there. That was a three-year program and that was online. And then we had to visit twice a year for in-house types of things. Yeah. And I just finished that up. Uh, I think I finished my work and my dissertation in 2019, but then we couldn't graduate because COVID put the kibosh on that. So we were going to wait for 2020. And then they still weren't taking flights at that time or the school wasn't going to have services. So finally in 2021, we did a online graduation service. And I remember hearing a story that you actually got called to go to the White House when George Bush was president. Yeah. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that? I got a call one day and the person told me that it was the White House calling. My secretary intercommed me and said, you've got a call from the White House. Well, I thought they meant there was a motel or hotel down in Bangor called the White House. So I thought that's what they were talking about. So the person gets on and they tell me, no, this is the actual White House. And I mean, I'm being invited to a gathering. And she said they were going to have about 70 religious leaders from around the country were going to gather to hear the president speak, and these people could bring a guest with them. And I was being invited, and she told me there were going to be famous people there and not famous. And of course, I was one of the not famous. First of all, I didn't think it was real. So I asked her after she gave her pitch, I said, can I call you right back? And she said, yes. And so we hung up. And then I looked up the White House phone number, and I called the White House to see if this kind of meeting was actually going on, because I thought it was a prank. Turns out it was real. So I called her back, and I asked her, I said, why am I being chosen for this? And she didn't know. So I inquired around, and nobody seemed to know. Nobody had any idea why I would get invited to this thing. But I decided, yeah, I'm going to do it. Well, I got a friend... You know, when you get invited to the White House, you go on their schedule. They can't give you a lot of advance notice. You got to have background checks done. You have to send all that in and all of your travel and everything. You're paying for that. They're not paying for anything because you're just privileged to go there. So I had to get a quick flight and all that. Well, I didn't have the means to do that, but I have a friend who does and he loves politics. So I said, hey, <laughs> if you pay for this, you can be my guest. So he was like, absolutely. So we booked the flights and went down. And I remember I was waiting in line and I was talking to this guy and he was kind of frumpy looking. He was disheveled. Everybody's like dressed to the nines. This guy wasn't. And uh, I thought, well, maybe he's one of those unknowns like me, but his voice was familiar. And so I got talking. I said, what is your name? And he said, well, my name is Frank. And I said, what's your last name? And he said, Peretti. So it turns out it was this author named Frank Peretti who wrote this book back in that day called This Present Darkness. So I'm like standing in line with this guy. So I'm pumping him full of questions, asking him all about his writing. And he's talking to me about sitting in his house with his grandchildren around his feet. And he's trying to write his books and all this kind of stuff. And we get into this meeting room and it's the who's who's of the Christian world. So I've got Jay Sekulow is sitting directly right in front of me. I'm sitting right next to R.C. Sproul, who's gone on to be with the Lord now. So he's on our left-hand side. And literally every person you can think of in that day, this was back quite a while ago, but in that day, all of the people who are like the top people in the religious world are in this room. And then there's me. <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing here? And R.C. Sproul looked at me and he said, you know, I've been to like four of these things and the president's never showed up yet. And I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So I'm thinking he's got to show up. I'm never getting invited to another thing like this. All of a sudden, and it's just like they say in the movies, these secret service guys walk in and they line the outside of the room and they all have sunglasses on and some little 
earpiece in their ear and they have zero personality. They're just staring <laughs> straight ahead. And then suddenly George Bush comes in, George Bush the Younger. And he walks in and he starts to speak to us. No teleprompter, nothing. It's just him off the cuff. And he was scheduled to speak to us for about 10 minutes, but he talked to us for about 45 minutes and just went on and kind of took us around the world, talked to us about what was going on, his position on things. We were not allowed to record anything. We were asked not to share anything that he said. They didn't want all these religious broadcasters taking what happened in that meeting and then going out and broadcasting it. It was just supposed to be him sharing his heart with these religious leaders. I still have no idea why I was there, but it was a neat experience. It was a great privilege. And he was just a real down to earth guy, you know, and at that time in the news, he was always characterized as a bumbler who, you know, couldn't put two words together and people made fun of the fact that he wasn't really articulate. But I'll tell you, in that meeting, he was funny. He was engaging. He was very articulate. It was amazing. And so we sat through that for 45 minutes and then we did a little sightseeing in Washington and came back home. So it was a really great experience. I have no idea why I went. Nobody seems to know why I was invited to go, but